0: when we talk about the business again that's that's that's. I don't um I don't treat this like a hobby and again uh, too many people out there think oh no nah, this th- it's only a hobby it won't last if, if you treat something like a hobby well guess what people will respect it like a hobby ladies and gentlemen hi everybody good evening are you ready Keep this frequency clear i know you are going to dig this oh yeah okay here we go check, check it out
1: This podcast episode is the audio version from a video that was published on martialartsmedia.com. For the full episode, to download the transcript and get all the show notes, head over to martialartsmedia.com. Enjoy. G'day, this is George Free, and welcome to another Martial Arts Media Business Podcast. So today I'm joined with a special guest, Greg Proben. So, uh, Greg is uh, someone that I'm, I'm fortunate enough to work with on a, on a Frequent basis in our in our fighters program, and uh, I'll give you a bit of a background on Greg, and then I'm going to let him run the show. So Greg is a military man, has served in both the Royal Australian Navy and the Australian Regular Army, uh, travelled extensively around the world, and has deployed operationally to Iraq, Afghanistan, and Fiji. Uh, Greg started his BJJ journey in 2008, and due to the uh, being in the military. Uh, trained and gain experience from many different clubs throughout Australia. So Greg also enjoys competing and coaching. More importantly, enjoys coaching kids, uh, helping them develop confidence so that if they are placed in an intimidating situation or being bullied, they can say stop. Awesome. So Greg, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me, George. I appreciate it.
1: Awesome. So, um, I, and I. I it's, it's, it's worth mentioning or not worth mentioning. This is our round two of recording this. So we've had a good practice run, so you're in for an awesome show, and I won't go into the details why, but this is round two, so this is going to be good. So Greg, um, I've given a bit of an intro just about, about you. You mind sharing just a bit more, you know, just a bit of your background and, and um, how you got into this jiu-jitsu journey?
0: Yeah, sure, George. Um, but this is this is kind of ironic as well for me because um, of all the times I've listened to your podcasts and I always hear that question, so who are you? I, I always sit there and I go, oh, I wonder if I'll ever have that question asked of me. Um, so, yeah, uh, father, husband, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a veteran now. Um, I um, have been doing, yeah, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu since 2008. Um, I spent... three months shy of a full 25 years of a military history or career. Um, uh, It's um, given me so many different things. Um, I'm I'm very much uh, uh, indoctrined in terms of the way uh, uh, people think uh, not necessarily outside of a box, but when things are black and white, I'm I'm the the, the go-to man there. Um, By that I mean... uh, if it's not policy, it doesn't happen, you know. And um, I think Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has given me um, a fantastic way to show people that, uh, that, well, not everything's black and white. So I'm fighting some of my own demons now that I'm out of the military. Yeah. <laughs> so so spending all that time in the military, um, how's,
1: how, how does that complement your Jiu-Jitsu training? And, um, and I guess i very- sorry. And I guess just to give context, because um, you know, military. I, you know, I think very sort of precision thinking and very strategic, um, clear-cut plans, preparation,
0: etc. Yeah, you, you're right on the money there, mate. Um, so I started my um, career in the military in the navy, and um, I um, finished up doing a job that of a fitness trainer or a, fitness tra- uh, a physical training instructor or a PTI, they call them for short. Uh, started uh, I was You can't just join the military directly into that role. You have to spend uh, several years um, in a, another job. Um, so I was what they called a bosun's mate uh, in the Navy. I did that for about eight years and then um, um, saw these guys... that that worked in gymnasiums over that time and just managed to work on their fitness and take a lot of people for their fitness. And I thought, well, they might not give that a crack. So um, I spent the the remainder of my years, um, eight years in the Navy um, doing that, and then I transferred across to the Army and um, did the same job uh, finishing up there. So um, it, it was really easy to transfer the skills that I'd received um, as a physical training instructor, across to being a coach in the sporting sector, um, I also uh, pursued different levels of um, coaching within the, um, the civilian sector, um, doing like certificates and diplomas, mm-hmm. um, and and it was really, it, it was fantastic in that um, when I did my um, strength and conditioning coaches courses. Um, I was stuck in a a classroom with maybe some university students or um, people that had had done a little bit of work in the civilian sector in terms of the fitness industry. And um, you you sit there going, wow, I've got it easy because I've got um, people that have to be there in terms of doing their own health and fitness stuff. Uh, I don't have to worry too much in terms of what people can't do because I mean they're all fit and healthy, and and then the ability to transfer what I'd learn into um, training for the defence, uh, there was that was again easy because you're able to back what you're doing up with um, current studies or um, current technique, as opposed to maybe having to you know do the cheeky thing and get waivers for people you know because they just they they accept what you're giving them is going to be good for them and um, well it is I mean the proof's in the pudding. Um, I mean the Australian Defence Force has been a feared fighting nation or a feared fighting force since the Boer War so maybe you got relatives back there uh, George who um, might have come across a couple of Aussies back in the day. <laughs> Possibly
1: yeah. <laughs> okay so 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 then with training in the military right um, I mean if, if we Jiu-jitsu is quite a physical thing. You know, one thing that's always fun when sparring jiu-jitsu is um, even if you go 100%, you've got the saving grace of just tapping out and and you can just take the foot foot off the pedal and, you know, you always set the pace. Normally, the pace starts as a, a light roll and then <laughs> it never ends in a light roll, right? So, okay. but then... <laughs> but then then training in the military... you. You're training at a whole new level and a whole new purpose, and I guess the stakes the stakes are real, right? Because it's life and death that you are dealing with. So, how do you how do you actually train at that intensity and
0: without burning people out? Um, yeah, good question. Good question. The um, I guess uh, to answer that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to rewind the clock to about well yeah 2008. Now I've been um, involved in martial arts since about 1989 started doing various forms of karate, and then I went to Muay Thai, and I found Muay Thai is a very practical um, martial art or sport, uh, fought nationally and internationally. And then um, I had a a, a hiatus of roughly eight to 10 years, and then um, thought, bugger this, uh, get back into the training for Muay Thai and recommence my fighting. And um, at the time I was Um, working at the Australian Defence Force Physical Training School which is on the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria and um, you've got, um, you could say the best of the best physical training instructors lecturing all aspects of health and fitness to people that are aspiring to do the job that I do or did. So um, you'll get you'll either work on what's passionate to you or if you're not, um, if you want to work on something new or, or um, improve your knowledge, you'll research a specific topic. So some of the topics that I used to lecture on were strength and conditioning, uh, factors affecting human performance. And um, they were quite big modules in their own right. And at that time, um, there was a, um, the military self-defense program which was headed by the Army. And at this stage, I was still in the Navy. And, um, well, I had to do the course um, because the role of the physical training instructor was required to undertake this because in the Navy at the time, there was a lot of boarding operations going on. Now, what the Army had noticed was, well, the the field of operation for them, heavy in Afghanistan, at the time, and and Iraq, they were that they they'd had this close quarter combat course, um, and then, um, but it was only the special forces that were really getting involved in it. Um, the infantry units were uh, doing forms of self defence, um, but um, the army, they initiated this military self defence program. Now, it was heavily based on self defence, and there were components of Brazilian jiu jitsu in it. And when I did it, the uh, military unarmed combat cell would. They came down to HMA service where I was at the time. I got involved in the course and um, I hit it off with some of the instructors because they knew that I was fighting Muay Thai at the time as well. One of the instructors he's like, come with me, I'll show you this thing called Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Now, um, I'd seen the UFC and I'd had a couple of little books of um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but really it didn't sort of. Because of my limited knowledge, I, I really. It didn't float my boat. I went and did this one lesson and I was just totally dominated. And uh, I, I couldn't believe the control, I couldn't believe um, how an individual could move or, or, or escape from somebody that would be heavier than them, bigger than them, um, how to control a bigger, stronger opponent. And I don't think um, at the time in the military self-defense course, we'd done the groundwork components. And then the next day or the day after, we're doing you know basic guard escape or mount escape or controlling your opponent whilst on the ground. And I was like, "Yep, hook line and sinker, it's got me." And um, yeah, this military self defence course. It um, well when I when I transferred from the navy to the army, it became even more apparent of uh, how important it was. I mean the navy were using it but it's very very difficult to do it on a very small boat and at the time this was when Australia's policy on the um control of uh illegal immigrants or uh, the boat people were coming across and, and you know we'd seen through the news how um uh people were throwing kids overboard and this and that and I mean as much as the, the media sensationalised that there there was a threat, and the threat was only the young single males that had nothing to lose. But then when you're on a when you're on a fishing vessel or a you know a boat that's not even 20 metres long and there's you know close to 100, 150 people on it, this this military self defence um, program it, it was very difficult to utilise because you can't keep your distance on a small vessel like that. Um, if you need to do a high double leg takedown, well, you're not just going to take them down onto the deck. You're going to take them down onto about four or five other people. So it was difficult for the Navy to use. Well, they were able to use aspects of it. When you go across to the Army, well, their field of play is totally different. But then as we as we move along and the 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 the, 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 the level of um, intelligence that was being gathered in the Army and and across the Navy and the Air Force, because they, they're also Personnel on the ground from the other two services, but more from the infantry people. Um, when they'd go to a, a compound and and they'd notice that there was little to no women and children, well, they knew they were going in for a battle. It'd be the fighting aged males, um, the, the, the adult males, they were always the threat. Um, and if there was ever any sort of hand to hand sort of combat, um, well, the soldiers were able to utilize this military self-defense stuff, but what they noticed was um, it was too defensive and it's progressed now into an integrated combat on uh, sorry, the, um, the um, Integrated Infantry Combat Course, I think it's called now and um, all about control, very little defense, you're in someone's face with the full military garb, you know wearing helmets, the body armor, you've got your rifle um, you don't, you're not working with one other person, but you're working in the, the, the section of eight to 10 people. Um, whereas the military self-defense course, in some respects, as good as it was, the entire time you're only working with an, a second person through the program, not utilizing the rest of a team. So, um, unfortunately I never got to do the, um, infantry combat course, um, but it was really, really interesting. Now, how do we link that into the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Well, after being totally dominated and seeing how that worked in the military self-defense course, it was a no-brainer for me. I was getting older. My opponents in Muay Thai were getting younger. It was taking longer for me to recover, and I found that, um, again, just like you said, with the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you're able to to stop when you're either being uncomfortable or you know you're having your arm ripped off your body. Um, and now in the military, we've got these integrated combat clubs. And it was, it's a way now for Army, Navy, Air Force people to get back to grassroots in terms of martial arts um, or some form of combative sport. And the transferability now, irrespective of whether you participate in the military self-defense course or the infantry combat course, is so easy. So now the soldiers, sailors, and airmen—they've got the ability to um, be put under pressure in stressful positions or, or uh, altercations, and deal with it as they see. And then you know, if they end up in that field of operation, especially the the, the on the ground, um, and not is not not on the ground as in Brazilian jiu-jitsu on the ground, but um, in the area of operation, whichever that is, um, they're able to best handle situations and, and know tactically what they can do and how their body's going to respond.
1: Interesting, so, and uh, it, it just reminds me, I, and uh, I don't know how uh, legit this is, and depending on when you are listening to this, this interview, I, I train with a few uh, people from the police force and i mean they use jujitsu all the time for my international and, and american friends in australia the police don't carry guns um if i'm if i'm correct we don't i, I
0: think some oh, do. Certain, some states do yeah yeah victoria some, does new south Wales yeah, does.
1: yeah um i i know in wa it's you know it's, it's more thing of it's it's always hand control um and and these guys use jujitsu a lot and and i i i haven't checked the you know, how valid this resource is, but, um, I saw an article floating around that it's going to be compulsory now for, uh, police. I I know at least in WA, that's Western Australia where, where, where we are, that, uh, police will be doing uh jujitsu as a compulsory activity as such.
0: Oh, send me over.
1: (laughs) 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 So cool. So I, I want to change, uh, I want to change gears here quickly. So, so Greg, um, so, Greg's school to be in one hundred percent jitsu is in a little town called
0: Wodonga, um, I believe city
1: eight thousand
0: population. Yeah, correct, George. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've um, small town right on the um, right on the um, Hume Highway, heading up to uh, Canberra, Sydney, um, and. Uh, we're right on the border. The Murray River obviously uh, separates us from New South Wales uh, as well as the Hume Highway. And directly on the other side of the border, on the other side of the Hume Highway, is Albury. So there's roughly um, roughly 60,000 people in that town. So with the two towns combined, we're looking at in excess of uh, yeah, 100,000 people. Gotcha. Yeah, nice, sleepy little town. Awesome.
1: So now, for a lot of people... You know, when they hear you're in a town of 38,000, um, there's, there's two mindsets of that, right? And uh, I'd, I'd love to hear your mindset, but a mindset I hear often is uh, it, it's a very lack, uh, a lack mentality. Um, we don't have enough people, we got too much competition, there's too many schools in too close range. What's, what's your take and how, how, do you, how do you view your business within a small, small town with small reach?
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that question. Um, all right, so um, we're coming to the decision of um, having a, a business that is orientated towards the combat sports, um, some people said, no, nah, you're crazy. I've, I've got family members, um, workmates, um, well, ex-workmates now, um, that uh, indicated that no, it wouldn't work in an area such as this one, and I'm not, I, I don't believe. Um, I don't believe that it wouldn't work. You know, it, it had to work, and, and the reason why I say that is because if I can get one percent of just Wodonga, well, that's only 380 people. Um, there, there are some, and listening to the podcasts that you, you've punched out there, George. I mean, you, you've got some pretty successful people that you've interviewed, and and I look at it like this: Why, why can't I get one percent, and when you look at it like that, it's it's pretty inspiring. I think one one percent, one one, yeah, one percent. Why couldn't that occur? And then if you looked at the entire, uh, well, if you put the two towns together, well, one to percent that that's a thousand people, and 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 uh, I've heard you interview people there that have got multiple schools. So um, when I first um, came to this idea, I was training at another facility, and uh, I shared this um, dream of mine. Well, it's actually not mine, it's my wife's, so I'm very lucky in that respect. I shared this dream with him, and he didn't really take kindly to it, and um, uh, we left not on the best terms, but I remember him saying that you ca- you'd never go full-time here. It's, the place is too small, and, and that's exactly what I said. Anyway, well. 1%. If I can't get 1%, there's something wrong. So um, I'm a third of that now, uh, and we've been open not yet two years, um, which is, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with. The, um, that 1% keeps driving me, you know, 380 people. Um, but we've got people that are traveling as far as um, 40, 50 minutes to come and train with us. In terms of my competition, and I was asked this last night, this same question. I, I said to this gentleman last night, I said, well, my competition is Aussie rules, swimming, hockey, um, water polo, believe it or not, it's huge here in this region, uh, netball, and a little bit of rugby, uh, and, of course, soccer. And he said, well, what about other Brazilian jiu-jitsu? And I said, they're not competition. Um, we've got to try and rise, the, raise the profile raise the profile of the sport. There's people out in this region that don't really know much about it. They'll see it on the UFC, think it's more of a thugs game. Um, I laugh when I have MMA people come in. I just tell them is a thug sport. Come and do something with a bit of finesse. Um,
1: Sorry to all the MMA fans listening. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah, so he was, he was really shocked, you know, and, and there's a there's an older guy who, I'm not sure what sort of martial art he does, He calls, and I'm not sure how he drives his business model, but I don't look at him when I see him in his van and go, that's competition. I look at him and I go, let's band together and try and raise the profile of his karate. You know, uh, People say to me, oh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, martial art. And I say, well, you can look at it like that. I look at it as though it's a sport. Uh, I... I I'm big on looking at it as a sport. I treat it like it's a sport. When I have people talk to me about the self-defense applications, I'm like, "We'll, we'll come down. Because you're still going to get the same benefits out of it. I might talk about points in a class. Uh, I might talk about holding position for a certain amount of seconds to get your points. Um, but at the end of the day, you're still able to... I mean, I, I took a class last night. We were doing transitions and... I shared with this woman, it was a first class, the the knee on the belly, and um, I made a reference about it being points. I said, but if you want to look at it in a self-defence application, what better way to control a human? You got your knee on their chest, one hand might be controlling clothing or an arm, while other hand's pulling out the mobile phone, you're calling 000, help, I need some help. So uh, she walked away the class thinking, oh wow, I, I never thought of it in these different aspects. But yeah. That 1%, I'll always refer back to that 1%. That's what I want.
1: That's awesome. And you, you brought something up that's, I really want to highlight this for any entre- entrepreneur and I guess any, yeah, any, anybody in business. I mean, the worst advice you can get is asking people in the workforce an opinion of you starting a business because none of them are going to support it. And the I don't think they mean bad intentionally. It's more a sense of, um, they're dealing with their own internal dialogue of it's not possible for them, and they don't want you to get hurt or whatever the case. So it's easier to just shut you down and not support the idea or the dream. Um, and I was, uh, uh, I saw somebody post a quote yesterday. It was something about it said, um, "What will they say?" And below it was, "These words have destroyed more dreams than any other words." Um, because it's it, the the focus is uh, you're influenced by what people say, and and you know you the, and when you got this idea and you you want to create this business and you think I'm going to do this thing and you've got this vision, um, but you've got this vision and now you're tell, you go tell yeah a family member or somebody you care about and it's just I mean that's the first people you want to tell right because it's the people you care and you're hoping for that support but for most people. You just don't get it because it's just a completely different way of thinking and a completely different
0: mindset, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, Now I I can't. I'm not going to talk too out of turn here because I might end. I might end up in deep water. But um, we've got some very close family who, um, uh, when we talk about the business, again, that's that's. that's, I don't. um, I don't treat this like a hobby. And again. Uh, too many people out there think oh no nah, this th- it's only a hobby it won't last if, if you treat something like a hobby well guess what people will respect it like a hobby so when i talk to these couple of individuals about the business um one of them's very aggressive towards it and the other one's very um defeatist about it and um like over christmas it was like oh i didn't think you'd be you'd still be open this. This far down the track, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, how can you be like that? You know, just just support what's happening. Yeah, it's, it's the it's the
1: typical tall poppy syndrome as well. And for uh, I've mentioned it before, but for anybody in the states, uh, tall poppy syndrome is um, the the visual aspect of a crab in a bucket um, pulling down anything that uh, anybody that succeeds behind your level. Um, the the term exists of trying to pull them back down. Um, uh, it's 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 almost like people want to see you succeed, but they don't want to succeed. What, they don't want to see you succeed more than them. So that's it. That's it. I want you to succeed, but once you go beyond me, I've got to I've got to pull you back. I've got to pull you back yeah. into my level of thinking and comfort zone.
0: <laughs> yeah, you did right. And and look, um, in in. You know, you asked me that question in terms of, like, the, the military mindset, and and I said, oh, yeah, I think too much black and white. When this idea of, of having a business um, centered towards Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, um, popped up, well, I had to think straight away, well, what do I need to do in order to, to get this happening, you know, because I'm – I'm not just going to open a, a place up and 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 you know uh, people start coming in. We're with, with training and it's like oh crikey, uh, I've got to pay the electricity electricity bill. I, well, I need money for that and uh, do I have it there or um, you know toilet paper? We've run out of toilet paper. Uh, how do I go there or um, uh, you know even having stock on hand for. For, for you know to get people thinking with the green side of their brain in terms of the, the buying power and, and the military doesn't really give you the opportunity to do business style type courses so I had to go and research my own thing and um, I found a um, a company out there orientated towards uh, the personal training industry and I thought because what I you know working in the fitness industry no brainer but how do I run a business okay so I did a little bit of research, and I found this one company, and they're called uh, the Max International College for Fitness Professionals. And um, I got in contact with them, and, and, and I said, look, I'm just after your business side of things. And um, well, they had this program, and um, you do your certificate three and four in fitness, you do your diploma of business and advanced diploma of business. And I said, well, you know, I'm not interested in the fitness components, because you know, I'm diplomat up there, and I've done this course and that course. And they're like, well, you know, it's a whole complete package. It all sort of entwines and works with each other. And I thought, all right. I remember seeing somewhere or heard somewhere or something about if you, if you if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And um, I thought, well, you know, what have I got to lose? I'll do everything because it's still going to give me that um, the business components that I needed. And uh, this this. Uh, admittedly, being in the military, you, you're not walking around with people that are all happy and bubbly all the time, and and you know, because you've got this, you know, like a sergeant major, and they're all these grumpy people, and you know, do this and do that, and you know, just like you see in the movies, people getting their faces ripped off because they might have looked sideways wrong, you know, or just poor timing. But um uh, these people were all happy and bubbly, and and I, I remember saying to one of the directors, I'm like. Is everybody like this all the time when I'm communicating with them?" And he goes, yeah, that's right. Is that a problem? And I said, that's not reality. And he goes, in my world, it's a reality. In your world, you've got sharp edges and you've got nasty corners. So there's that black and white mentality. Well, these people, they're not walking around with rose-colored glasses. And I'm like, okay, I have to drop a few barriers, get on their boat, start paddling with them because we're all going in the same direction. And this um, this uh, Max International College of fitness professionals paved the way in order for me to then get the business up and running and be successful. And it comes back down to what I said earlier: if you if you have your club or um, your whatever, whatever martial art that you're doing, and you you treat it like the hobby, well, everybody else is going to treat it like a hobby as well. I mean, I've, I've We've got um, people that uh, have participated in other martial arts, and I remember when they first started training with us. Oh, Greg, do you want us to help clean the mats? And I'm like, No, dude, you're paying mat fees. That's part of the service I provide. I clean the mats, you know, clean them regularly because that's you know where we are, lying on the mat, face down, sometimes if you're unfortunate. But these people, are like, Oh yeah, but our last sensei made us do this, or our last coach used to make us do. It. I'm like, That's fine, but I hope you weren't paying the same amount of fees that you're paying now. And you can see them, and they start thinking, and it's like, oh, okay. And then there's a bit more of respect that comes through as well. Uh, So I think people appreciate it more, too, when you have that professional outlook. um, And if you pave it professionally, make it professionally, well, people don't see it. Like the family, uh, these other members within the family that I've got that are the negative ones. um, Yeah, I mean, they haven't come and seen what I do and the way it it looks, but... um, we're not in a shed, we're not in a factory. I'm actually in an air-conditioned and heated facility, um, it looks pretty pretty neat, I think, and um, well, anybody that walks in and walks out, I always get the compliment, wow, I never would have thought it would be like this. Awesome. So, on that, on that thinking of that, that planning and that
1: black and white, um, I, I want to just, before we wrap it up, I quickly want to bring up something, uh, your mission statement. So. Um, and, and just to give it a bit of context, uh, Greg works with us in our in our partners program. And part of our partners program, we've got uh, we we also build websites to make sure all our members have got the right tools. So before creating the website, we always uh, have an interview with the with the school owner and, and just ask a couple of questions uh, so that we can you know formulate a good sales proposition on the website that it's all customized. So a question we always ask, and it's a question that. Uh, I never really get a straight answer but I did with Greg right um, and the question is what's your mission statement and it's important for us to know because then we can sort of get a good perspective of what the, how the club owner sees it so you nailed it and you just it, 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 I was almost shocked that you had it sort of down to a T do you mind sharing your your school's mission statement
0: sure um, we rolled our vision and mission statement in together and we've added our core values as well so um We uh, foster a family ethos where each and every member feels part of the team environment, but more importantly, at home with like-minded people. Um, We'll provide you the opportunity to improve your health and fitness and well-being through education and confidence building. Um, Our core values, uh, I like the acronym acronym of TRICK, is uh, teamwork, respect, integrity, and confidence. Yeah. And, and it does it, and it paves the way. Uh, you asked me earlier, George, about um, why, why why this mission statement, and it gives me direction. It gives people that come in direction. Um, we don't have any um, – uh, I mean, every, every every club or academy or affiliate or whatnot, they, they have their cliques. We try and break those barriers down. Uh, everybody is part of the family. Um, you know, I've got white belts that will say to a – a coloured belt that's visiting, you know, where's your shoes if they're not walk if they're walking around barefoot off the mat, um, and 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 people get shocked, and it's like oh yep fair enough we're in somebody else's house, um, and then if we've got somebody that's been negative um, within the group, it's it's not me the head coach that's trying to pull them back into line. It's other people, uh, they're saying to them, you know, well here we do it like this, you know. It'd be good if you like that. Um, it, it's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really proud of um, the, the, the ethos that we've got on the mat and um, that's, i put that back down to the mission statement. It's all about being part of the family.
1: Good note for us to, to just wrap it up. Greg, thanks. thanks so much for being on the call, thanks and I'm glad that we nailed it this time. We'll get into that story Thank later. But um,
0: if people want to know more about you, where can they find out more about you, Greg? Oh, fantastic, George. Uh, well, we're all the Ws at Uh You could also go to the um, Dubeen Jujitsu uh, Headquarters website as well and, and we'll be there in linked to them. Uh, we're on Facebook, uh, again, DeBean, uh 100% Jujitsu Um and we're also on Instagram, just the hashtag. Uh, just make sure you put Wodonga in there. Otherwise, you'll probably see someone from maybe Ipswich. Ipswich. So, has it been in Ipswich? Darwin? Yeah, so, um, yeah, no, that, that's how you'll find us.
1: That's good. And we'll, we'll put links to all those in the show notes of the interview.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much, George.
1: Thanks, Greg. It's been great speaking. Speak to you soon.
0: Take care, mate.
1: Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect with other top, smart martial arts school owners and have a chat about marketing, lead generation, what's working now, and or just have a, a gentle rant about things that are happening in the industry, then I want to invite you to join our Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group, and in there I share a lot of extra videos and downloads and worksheets, things that are working for us when we work, help school owners grow, and share a couple of video interviews and a bunch of cool extra resources. So uh, it's called the Martial Arts Media Community and an easy way to access it is if you just go to the domain name martialartsmedia.group so martialartsmedia.group, G-R-O-U-P, Uh, there's no .com or anything, martialartsmedia.group, that will take you straight there, Uh, request to join and I will accept your invitation. Thanks. I'll speak to you on the next episode. Cheers.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening. If you need help building your martial arts school, check out martialartsmedia.com.